Hi all, welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast, where we talk all things narcissistic abuse. This is episode two, and I'm your host, Brandy Fuller-Anderson. I am a counselor, recovery coach, fellow survivor, and author of the book, I Believe You. Before we get started, just know that often when telling my personal stories or making references, I will generally refer to the narcissist as a he. And that's just for ease of telling my personal story and staying consistent, but know that narcissists are both male and female. If you have any question about what I mean when I say narcissist, please go back to the first episode where I explain this a little more in detail. For most of this show, we address only the dynamics of what it's like being in an intimate, in a romantic relationship with a narcissist, or how to recover after being a partner to a narcissist. But this time, I'll be discussing one of the most popular questions surrounding narcissists in general, which is the one about why their behaviors are so similar to one another. If it were as simple as them all just being the lying, cheating, manipulating users that we all know, who set out every day just to hurt people, this wouldn't really explain the predictable narcissistic cycle with all relationships involving a narc, so there has to be more to it. Something that explains the cycles, the similarities. And why do we want to know? why they do what they do? Well, for many reasons, including the need to lift the fog that we were left in, but mostly to understand the dynamics in the relationship that can't be changed, to lead to acceptance, to eventually lead to freedom. Now, we will be covering a lot of clinical information regarding what we know about narcissists, But please don't be overwhelmed by it. We'll have future episodes in which we further break down and discuss the information in smaller portions. Also, just know that there's more than one theoretical orientation for treating and diagnosing this personality disorder, and I have chosen to focus on the one that makes the most sense to me, so my descriptions will be encompassing the theory that I use in my treatment and diagnosis, which is object relations theory. Today we dive into the rabbit hole. Survivors of emotional abuse tend to lean on each other. We're a great resource for information and understanding. And we're genuinely caring people who want to both prevent abuse and help others to escape it. And really, we're often the only ones who will validate this crazy story that you have to tell people. Maybe one that you've already tried telling, but nobody understood. It's true what people say. You can't possibly fully understand this experience until you've been through it. Survivors are so isolated. We share our stories, and we share our stories... We need to. 
there's just not enough awareness out there to arm people with the knowledge that they need to keep themselves safe from predators. But if we're aware, we also listen to the stories of other survivors. We listen and we listen and we listen and here's what we can gather from those stories. That narcs are poisonous, yes, but once you're onto their game, they're pretty predictable, right? You have probably found this during your many searches through survivor sites and articles. You've likely wondered, is there some elusive narc handbook that they all have access to and the rest of us don't? Is this where their uniform and predictable plays come from? Do they have some superhuman ability to study our every move? Figure out everything about us? Read our minds and use it all against us? It seems this way, so how else can it be explained? And that's a good question. So let's talk about the narcissist and how does he know how to do just what he does? Which is a question I get often. I hear it a lot. How is it that they are all so alike that if you're researching and trying to figure out what has gone wrong in your relationship, you can Google and start to search these certain sets of behaviors and once you get into them, you find their textbook for all other people experiencing a relationship with a narcissist, like they're identical. I see stories all the time, survivor stories, and the comments on them say things like, this could have been this could have been something I wrote, it could have been written by me, or this sounds a lot like my partner. And even, are you sure we aren't married to the same person? They're just so, so similar. It doesn't take any clinical knowledge to see the similarities in their behaviors, right? Anyone paying attention can see the obvious way they instinctively act defensively. They constantly lie. They gaslight their partners. They take our words and twist them. They throw subtle jabs into any conversation. They accuse others of, of doing what they themselves do. They throw tantrums like tiny children when they don't get their way. They live in fantasy worlds. Even superficially, these actions are apparent. But why? Why does it seem like they study us so they can destroy us? But most people would actually be surprised at the minuscule amount of information gathering a narcissist actually does. And really would be giving too much credit to the effort that they're willing to put into anything. Any narc in your life will know very little about you because he'll never care enough to try to get to know you. In fact, he'll never even consider you a whole other person with your own ideas, emotions, experiences. If you try to have a sit-down conversation with a narcissist, it might flow along for a minute or so. But as soon as you expect that narcissist to reflect on the consequences of his behavior, or to consider how you are affected by his behavior, or think about what it is you are dealing with, that conversation drops right off a cliff. It's over. When you attempt reciprocal conversation, 
Narcissists are absolutely baffled over what you're asking of them, which frustrates them, angers them, causes them to try to get you back on track with blame shifting or gaslighting. And if that doesn't work, they shut down. So yeah, you are a non-thought. Unless he's having a moment where he needs something you have, wants you to do something for him, or wants to get away with something behind your back, then he might pay you a second thought. Let me paint a little picture about how this nightmare begins. And please know that I'm offering some insight that I have found helpful. It's helped me to try to understand why the behaviors followed the same cycle and why they were so similar across all narcissists. And this knowledge does offer a good foundation of how their minds are fragmented and how their defense mechanisms dictate their thought process. But once again, I really want to be clear that these are not meant to be excuses for their behaviors or any justification for their behavior. Because no matter how disordered your thoughts may be, no matter how things might go off course in your development or how you're made up, everyone has a choice with regards to our behaviors. We still have a choice about whether we hurt someone's feelings or decide to not be hurtful to someone. Narcissists are no exception to this. I just know that sometimes, when we're still sitting in the fresh pain of the realization of this trauma, it can be hard to hear anything other than, fuck them. Any explanation can sound like an excuse when you find what they have done inexcusable. This may be a brief moment in the process, or it can carry on a while as we work through it. But it's normal, we've all been there. Just keep going, I promise this sensitivity will pass. And this is why I want to make it clear that I will never be making excuses for those that abuse and use others. So in this episode, we're discussing the dynamics of their personality disorder, or what dictates their every move and why they're similar. Again, according to my chosen theory of personality disorders, essentially the reason that their atrocious behaviors occur, and not how atrocious those behaviors are, or how detrimental to others they are. And why do we want to learn this? Instead of just focusing on how vile and abusive these people are and how much we should just hate them and steer clear of them? Good question. We have reason to hate them and we should steer clear of them. But we want to have clarity because the understanding of why they do the things they do helps us to put some of the puzzle pieces together helps us to make sense of the things that didn't make sense in our relationship. Helps us to understand that we did nothing wrong and there was nothing we could have done differently to change how things turned out or to prevent the abuse. And helps us to understand that their behavior will never change. Which will hopefully help to drive home the idea that our only option is to leave this situation to go no contact, to forget the dreams of healing him or changing the situation, to look out for ourselves for a change, break free and start to heal. That's why. 
So I just want to be very, very clear that although we are gaining insight and in some understanding into how their minds work and how it affects their behaviors and why they are all so uniform, it is by no means an excuse to treat people like garbage or to be overall all around shitty people. So just know that I'm making no excuses. Okay, so back to the ugly picture, it might go something like this. When you first come in contact with a narcissist, he'll quickly assess your value or what it is you have to offer him or how useful you'll be to him. You've heard of this referred to as narcissistic supply or fuel. He'll size everyone up according to a status hierarchy, a self-created status hierarchy. And this value will be based on what you have to offer him. Maybe money, status, sex, or attention. If he decides you have no value for him, then he'll likely pay you no mind at all. In fact, if you get in his way, you'll be nothing more than an irritation. Now, you'll eventually get to this point no matter what, when he has devalued you and projected onto you until he no longer sees any value in you, and you essentially become that burden, that irritation for him, and he'll treat you as such. Now, the remaining people in the room will be placed on his own demented mental list of importance. Those who have the most to offer are the most responsive to his attention and have a quality that will enhance his falsified persona will be placed at the top of that list and everyone else arranged behind them. Now, he cares deeply about what other people think of him, so how a partner makes him look is very important. But if he doesn't feel you make him look good and you still make him feel good or you have many material things to offer him, then he's gonna consider you all the same. He'll just keep you further away from his circle or whoever those people are that he feels the need to impress. He doesn't have any deeper attraction to his partners. It's all very superficial. You might even notice that your narc has no real type. If you were to look at all of his exes and maybe do a comparison, you'd see there's no real type. And this is because you don't see what he sees. He didn't care who they were, and he isn't attracted to anything other than what he can use them for. If a narcissist does pick out a certain look and those that they date, it's likely because that specific look is needed to impress the crowd that he holds high in status. When he looks at his partner, he sees nothing, an object. It's like asking, how much do you really care? if your vibrator is pink or purple. Probably not that much. You're not gonna look at it all that often and as long as it serves the same purpose, what's it matter? This is their thought process, even with people. Narcissists don't view themselves or anyone else as healthy, integrated wholes. They see people as either all good or all bad, one or the other. And when a person is viewed as bad, they aren't just bad, 
They're the worst of the worst. Most pathetic, despicable, worthless pieces of garbage. And when a person is good, they're amazing and valuable and sought after. The concept of whole object relations is the ability to see people as mixtures of both good and bad parts. It's a healthy and realistic view of people. And narcissists lack this concept. If your partner is a narc, he will have very black and white thinking with few or no gray areas. Generally, since he's not actually getting to know anyone, he'll base his opinion of your good or bad value off what you have to offer him. If you're giving a narcissist his way, are avoiding calling him out on lies, are adoring him and flattering him by hanging on every word of his falsified stories, and have a job that can potentially pay his bills, you are all good. However, if you've called him out on his bullshit, or if you have refused to pay for him, or you have embarrassed him, denied him, ignored him, or simply had a difference of opinion with him, then you are all bad. Now, if you find yourself in the category you prefer not to be in, not to worry, because these labels can change with every passing moment, as he'll constantly be shifting his ideas about you, depending on whether you're pleasing him or damaging his ego, whether imagined or not. This is why you'll likely find yourself confused at the way his defensiveness blows up in loud, nonsensical arguments. And then an hour later, he acts as though it never even happened. When a narcissist first sets his sights on you, he'll be giddy with emotion over all the things that he admires about you. It's endearing and childlike, really. You can tell he's wondering how he found such a magnificent specimen with so much to offer, who's so willing to give it, and who will make him look better just by attaching himself to you. But all of these very qualities will one day soon be exactly what your narc partner hates about you. They will be a constant reminder of his own insecurities. He will be jealous that you have the qualities that should belong to him. He'll see it as a punch in the face. How could you try to be better than he is? How could you try to have more than he does? And he'll decide you should be punished for this. And he'll begin to devalue you in order to convince both you and him that you are not as great as he originally gave you credit for. And you are not as good as he is. He is the better one. And you make him worse. He'll start to project everything he hates about himself onto you. Let's say he puts his pants on one day and notices that maybe they're getting a bit tight. He must have put on some weight. For a brief moment, he'll start to feel bad about gaining weight, about what people might think, 
the consideration that he may not look as good as he needs to, just for a brief moment. He'll quickly project those negative feelings. He has to, he has no way to cope with them. He may tell himself, no, I don't feel bad about the extra weight I carry around. She is carrying extra weight around and it's disgusting. And she must feel so bad about it. I think I'll make sure. He'll start to make subtle or not so subtle remarks regarding your weight so that you feel insecure about it and start to realize how much you need to work on yourself. Once he has convinced you of this, he can easily brush off those feelings each and every time he starts to button those tight pants and feel bad about his weight. And he just reminds himself, it's not him that he's unhappy with. It's you. You have let yourself go and should feel like shit about yourself. Or maybe he decides he needs to have a new car because he knows someone who got a nice new car and he always wants what others have. But he lost yet another job and he can't afford it. He may very briefly begin to feel like a complete failure, a little worthless. He can't sit with those feelings. He will quickly project them onto you by telling himself, you used to have a good job and money to buy him things, but now your job isn't good enough. You pulled him into this relationship with this promise of a better life and material things. And now you don't bring home enough money to make him happy? You tricked him. You're terrible. And you must feel like a failure. That you can't provide for him. That you don't make enough for the both of you to live comfortably. You need a better job. And you should be buying him more things. What is the matter with you? These projections feel like gaslighting when they happen. You may be confused and taken aback in conversation. You may think, what the hell? I've gained weight? He gained weight. You might become angry and think, he's crazy. What the hell's wrong with him? What an asshole. But eventually, eventually, you'll start to think, maybe I have let myself go a little. Maybe I'm not looking my best. Maybe this is just his way of letting me know that he's becoming less attracted to me. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I already feel a little insecure about my relationship and wanna make sure I'm putting my effort into satisfying my partner. I better start to watch my weight. I need to make an effort to look better, to make my partner happy. I need to change. In the beginning, that narcissist uses all of your qualities that appear admirable to him and mirrors them back to you and basks in the fantasy of how it feels to have you admire him right back. Mirroring is nothing more than a reverse projection. And everyone does project at some point. In fact, you likely project it onto your narcissist as well. 
assuming him to be a normal, good-hearted person, because you were a normal, good-hearted person, and you assumed his behaviors must be explained away by something like past trauma, because that's the only way it made sense to you. In those first few encounters, you're likely to feel so comfortable talking to someone who obviously shares so many admirable qualities with you that you'll openly share a few childhood stories, future dreams, or biggest fears. Now, he may take notice of these and will surely lock them away behind the abyss filled with twisted and falsified stories of his own. He does this because there will come a day when you become too confident and judgmental for him. It's at this time that he'll use that information to create insecurities in you, to stir up self-doubt, and to put the brakes on a reasonable debate, as he's not capable of reason and he wants to ensure you run off track each time you attempt it. The personal information that you offer is freely given to the narcissist during your attempt to strengthen the bonds that you believe to be growing. He didn't have to work much for it, which he appreciates as narcs tend to be quite lazy much of the time. But after these generous gifts on your part, you better believe that narcissist will rarely pay attention to any of your stories, dreams, or fears, let alone take note of them. What bothers you? What drives you? What excites you? Is all insignificant to these toxic partners. If it doesn't directly work to achieve his goals, he simply doesn't care. Months, years, even decades after being in a relationship with a narcissist, you'll find the narc couldn't tell you what your favorite color is, what your childhood best friend's name is, what your degree in college was, Maybe even when your birthday is. You'll receive the worst gifts from him if you're lucky to get one at all because he doesn't really know you. He doesn't want to. He doesn't care. You do not matter. So I was listening to a podcast recently. I really like to listen to true crime and I recently started listening to Crime Junkie which is a great show. The hosts are true crime enthusiasts and also pet lovers, so they are A-OK in my book. So if you enjoy true crime, I highly suggest you go on over and check them out. Now, just follow me on this mental journey. It may appear like I'm getting off track or getting lost, but I was catching up on older episodes and I listened to an episode on killer Chris Watts. Now, this name doesn't really matter because this isn't particular to him. But Chris Watts is a man who allegedly killed his wife and two young daughters and then just went off to work like any other day and later even went on the news talking about how sad he was that his family was missing and how lonely he felt without them and how much he wanted them back home. Now we've definitely heard this a time or two, right? When these disgusting criminals do these absolutely vile things and then show their face on the evening news, begging for answers and playing the victim. We all know how well they play the victim. 
I listen to these stories and I hear the show host say things like, how could he kill his own family? Little girls who loved him and trusted him. Or them analyzing his speech on the news where he makes it all about him, saying things like, I feel so lonely without them. I miss them. Whatever will I do? And they wonder, how could someone do such things? I can't imagine how he could do such things. And I can't help but think to myself, I can imagine how. Now, this is an explanation of my thought process after spending so much time researching, researching this disorder and the maladaptive defenses of narcissists, and I'm in no way insinuating it's possible to diagnose someone based off a behavior seen in the news or heard in a story. I know that it's simply not possible to diagnose someone you haven't personally treated for any extended period of time, so I'm not saying this at all. But anyway, I hear the stories and I immediately start to picture this man having some traits of NPD. And I work through the whole scenario. It just helps me to put it into perspective or imagine the possible outcome with the disorder that I study the most. Because these things do happen when you stay with an abuser. And I know this could have very easily been how my story ended. I know that no matter how nice he appeared to others or how loving he was seen acting with his adorable daughters, that his thinking would be black and white, lacking in whole object relations and object constancy. I know that any rage initiated from a slight to his ego would create a feeling of hate and a desire to be rid of this family causing him so much unhappiness. I know that during these periods of rage and hate, he's no longer able to remember any positive feelings that he might have felt for them, or any of the positive times they spent together, or even what fuel he was receiving from them. He's in the current moment, and in the current moment, they are a threat to his self-esteem or his protective mask, and he acts strictly on ego preservation at any and all costs. Without any positive feelings or memories of his family, he only knows he never loved them. They've only ever been a huge burden for him. Now, granted, even with these feelings and inability to think things through or reflect, there seems to be some choice involved in how to remedy the situation and separate himself from his family. But maybe due to desperation, ignorance and ability to come up with ideas, or just sociopathic overlap, he decides in an instant that killing them is his only way out of this hell. He's lost and consumed in the rage and in the moment. It's the only feeling he's having. No reflection of the past. No consideration for the future. He lacks empathy, so has no ability to feel sad or scared for these innocent little girls, and no sense of the confusion that his wife must feel. He just wants to be rid of this desire to be done with the rage his family brings him. He's selfish and self-justifies his behavior. After all, it's all about him, and he needs to be happy and not bothered by anyone who may be upsetting to him. 
No remorse allows him to go on about his day once he's rid his life of the anger that he projected onto his innocent family. But, if he's a narcissist, he will eventually calm down and may find himself back in the happy place. The place where he remembers how much pleasure his family is for him. After all, his wife maybe has dinner waiting for him when he comes home from work. And this is convenient, makes him happy, he likes this. And his girls maybe run to hug him and remind him that he's loved even if he's had a rough day. And that's nice, he likes this too. But then he remembers that today they aren't coming home. And he may start to feel sad for himself. Don't be fooled by this sadness just yet. Although it's genuine, which makes it easy to believe, because he's likely really feeling sad, these feelings are for himself and how it will affect him. No empathy means he isn't feeling bad about taking the lives that lay ahead for these amazing people, but more so how their absence affects him. And that's what's seen and heard in his statements. That's what I see or hear in his statements because I'm always reminding myself how some of these perpetrators operate and which parts of them remain disordered beyond their control and allow them to do heinous things to even those they claim to love. And I do so because it's important for me to remind myself that these scenarios are the one that always feel like they affect other people and not you, right? But if you come home to a toxic person, there is always a risk that one day things may get much, much worse. If you remain in a relationship with someone who has displayed the ability to forget that love for you, or unempathetically pain you, either emotionally or physically, you are not safe. Now remember, I'm making no claims that Chris Watts is a narcissist or that any and all killers are. He could just as easily be a sociopath or psychopath reacting to entirely different defenses or suffering from some other mental break. All we really know is that he's likely not to be neurotypical because neurotypical people don't murder their families. I'm just saying that when I listen to these shows now, I can totally see how these acts would be possible for someone who lacked these key concepts or empathy that allowed them to consider consequences or feelings of others. My mind automatically considers it when I observe heinous behavior now. And if you have ever witnessed or been the focus of a narcissist rage, you know that there were no rules in place for it. It was possibly violent and selfish and out of control. And there is just no way to stop it and no words you can say to calm it until they work their messed up views through it or maybe they've been jolted back into a positive experience that takes their mind off of it. Essentially, it's not in your control at that time. It's like a storm you have to just ride out and maybe are foolish to assume you will always be able to ride it out. Those with NPD do not possess the traits that foster restraint. 
and there is no way to know what will be the time they no longer show any. Each and every time you ride that storm out, you're putting yourself at risk. I can't stress this enough. If your narcissist partner has shown any tendency towards violence, you are not safe. Please, please take this seriously and make choices that will ensure your safety and well-being. So anyway, back to my point. No, there isn't a handy narc playbook that they all read from and act from. However, they seem to have broken out of the exact same molds because their trademark behaviors are the staples of their diagnosis. Narcissists lack whole object relations and object constancy. They have reduced or no empathy. They are super sensitive to any dings to their ego. And they view people on a status hierarchy. And these few things direct all of their behaviors. Do you remember we talked about that mental list that narcissists make when they enter a room? The one that disregards the people with nothing to offer? and makes an ordered list of the ones with any supply to give. What I have discovered to be the very best way to guard yourself from narcissists in your life is to be one of those individuals that gets immediately disregarded by the narcissist. Now, that doesn't mean that you can never be successful or caring or have material things or look good or any of the many things that narcissists want for themselves. It just means that you become a person who has boundaries so strong that you never put off a vibe that there may be an opening. An opening they can come into and get you to pay attention to them. Share your things with them. Soak up their pity stories. Believe the lies. Appear needy enough to hang on to a false relationship when the red flags start to appear. Forego holding them accountable not ask a lot of questions, never call bullshit. Don't be one of those people. And we've all likely been one of those people, and that's how we got here. But we can build our strength from this experience up to the point that it's not possible to happen again. And those are the things we'll work on here. So I have some exciting news this week. If you don't like waiting a whole other week for our next episode to come out, we're actually going to be releasing a mini episode on Monday of this coming up week, and it's going to be a red flag episode where we discuss some of the red flags that might clue you into a toxic relationship, maybe help you look back and and reflect on the relationship you were in or are in with your narcissist now and, and understand what some of the red flags are. As always, you can find more support between episodes on Facebook or Instagram at I Believe Your Abuse. You can check us out at IBelieveYourAbuse.com. 
You can find support there, including resources for support groups and professionals in your area who specialize in narcissistic abuse. And this is a work in progress, and I'll be adding to this list as I locate information. There are so many resources on the site, including a shop where you can help support the fundraising efforts that I believe yourabuse.com does to increase awareness about narcissistic abuse. They aid in relocation services for victims and ensure availability of appropriate therapeutic support. And they also advocate for education for law enforcement and those in the criminal justice system with regards to emotional abuse. You can find some great gear that also spreads awareness and your proceeds help out a great cause. So check them out. You can send in comments, request for a specific topic to be addressed on the podcast, or share your survivor story. Just send an email to ibelieveyourabuse at gmail.com. Be sure to follow the podcast to have episodes automatically added for you as they come out. And if you have friends or family who are struggling with narcissistic abuse, or are just willing to understand your experience and offer you support, please share the show with them. Spreading awareness and understanding are so important. Until next time, own your truth. Never stop telling your story. I believe you.